From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) I did turn my head. I mean... I didn't think you'd hear that. Good morning, Simon. How are you today? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, um, that, that's that's not going to quite work with the way the music kicks in. Um, so uh, <laughs> sure it is. What are you no, talking no, about? What music? Just, just wait. No, just you... stop it right now. Just stop it right now, and we'll all be quiet for a second. You can turn the music on, and we'll pre- pretend like this never happened. Okay. Oh, okay. Yep. We'll do that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Here goes. I can't do it. <laughs> no, no, that's it. We, we'll we'll uh, we'll put this at the end, and we'll we'll start that one again. I don't think we I don't think we can manage this one this time. Although I'll, I'll give I'll give it a go. Let's give it a go. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. My name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hi, Simon. <laughs> Sorry, now I now I'm losing it. Um, we're not laughing for any reason, folks, whatsoever. There's nothing funny to hear here. It's just a, you know nothing. Yeah, the, at all. This is the classic lenses podcast. There is nothing. There was never anything funny. No, no, exactly, exactly. Good morning, all. It's bright and sunny here in Chicago, and um, uh, and I, I made a raspberry pie last night. Um, I don't have any ginger beer this morning. So, but last night, so our raspberries that run up all up and down the driveway. So, this I, I know this sounds. Is it? No. Well, yeah. I was just gonna say this sounds really appetizing. The the raspberry bushes outside my driveway in Chicago. Um, the raspberries are all ripe. So I picked a bunch of raspberries last night and made a fresh raspberry pie. So I'm all out of ginger beer right now, but I do have a fresh raspberry pie in the refrigerator. I don't think I've ever had raspberry pie. It's more of a jam thing, really. Do you have, by the way, do you have jam over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, that's um, the... So I picked the first batch of berries. They're not all ripe yet. So the so the first batch here went into the pie, but the next batch is going into my raspberry jam. Okay, and hello, hello Perry. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Perry? Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, surviving. Yeah. Yeah, things 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 have been a bit bit tough over there from what from what I'm hearing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, last night things got pretty ugly. It was like a scene out of a 1980s crime movie, <laughs> like those old Hong Kong triad films with just God. organized crime coming out and beating the crap out of everyone when they were coming home late at night. Cops just turning their back and ignoring it. I was gonna go and shoot the aftermath today. But then a bunch of my friends started texting me saying, like, dude, don't go. You're going to get the crap beaten out of you. And then my girlfriend told me, yeah, yeah, don't go. You're a really easy target because you're, like, going to be by yourself with a camera and you look really beatable, whatever that means. (laughs) 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 Old Perry the punching bag. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But, yeah, apparently I look like a really satisfying punching bag target. Um, But, yeah, apart from that... uh, I developed a role of C41 successfully. Um, you hey, know, the congrats. last role. Uh, thank you. Well, I screwed up the scanning. The colors still aren't right. Um, but I shot a roll through my X-Pen, and it turned out that mixing a fresh batch of chemicals uh, really does do the trick. Um, I, I'm actually thinking of being super like wasteful and lazy about it in the future and just using C41 almost as like one shot. And just getting the temperature of the water spot on when I mix it so that I don't have to, like, 
get it back up to temperature <laughs> when I'm reusing it because it's such a pain <laughs> in the ass. But we've had that. We've, we've had that conversation. I can relate to this this theory you have here, Perry. <laughs> okay, have you have you done that? No, but I like your thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's so tempting because I mean, I mean, like they come in giant bottles, right? So I've got this giant bottle under my sink that I've only used once, and then it expired after you know a number of rolls. I'm like, yeah, oh, might as well. You know, it's technically expired anyway. As well, just one shot all of it until it's gone, and then just send everything else to the lab. <laughs> um. But yeah, apart from C41 still sucking. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be gone for two weeks. I'm going on an epic road trip across the east coast of Canada uh, next week, starting on Saturday. Um, so right now I am still struggling to decide what gear to bring. Um, but this, it's always a fun decision-making process. And, you know, when I'm gone, you guys better record some good stuff because we're going to be on the road for a while and I intend to listen <laughs> And like scream, scream at my speakers when you say incorrect things. <laughs> right. Well, uh, th- thanks for that. And I'll just do a, a very brief uh, update on uh, what I've been up to because we have a guest and uh, we don't want to keep her waiting much longer. Uh, and that's I've actually been out shooting the Tessar uh, as part of the as part of my challenge. And. I've been shooting a, the, it's a Tessar that I borrowed off uh, Brian Truman of the Six Towns Darkroom um, that I, I shared some pictures with last week. And I've been shooting it with my new camera, my my own uh, Contax AX. And it's been fun. Um, I didn't have as much time with it as I wanted to, but um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've quite enjoyed shooting that lens on that camera. Uh, what the picture is going to come out like is a whole different matter, but... Yeah, it was it was not an unpleasant experience. So, uh, yeah, things are, are definitely get, getting more positive on the forty-five to fifty millimeter Tessar um, problem front that I have. Right. Well then, um, as you as you would have heard earlier um, in the particularly professional <laughs> introduction that, that that we did this week, um, we we have a guest. Um, and it's a it's a guest that I first heard on the Sunday Sixteen podcast uh, back in last year. I didn't listen to it in November uh, twenty seventeen because I did a one of those mammoth catch ups um, on on a podcast run. Um, but it was episode seventy five of the uh, Sunday Sixteen podcast, and and it's a um, now this is a funny one in itself I'm, because I'm. I want to describe our guest as, as more of an artist than a photographer, but I know that that is a that's actually a rather controversial statement to make in its own right, uh, because many photographers will call themselves artists, and and some perhaps wouldn't, but they probably are. Um, so perhaps we might actually explore that uh, that that thought process with our with our guest today, um, but. Our guest is um, Isabel Cuides. Have I got that right, <laughs> yeah. Isabel? Yeah, uh, that's, 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 that's it. That's um, it. And it's actually there's a lot we're going to talk about, so I'm going I'm, I'm to pretty much um, end the introduction, my, my feeble introduction that I've just actually done so far, and uh, welcome you, welcome you to the show, where Isabel. Thank you very much. I feel very welcomed, <laughs> despite yeah. laughter and uh, other small things. <laughs> well, if, and if, I was actually quite comfortable waiting. I'm much better <laughs> at waiting than at talking about myself. 
So <laughs> well, it's, that's it's, a bit of a problem. <laughs> it's, well, it's uh, you're going to have to talk about yourself in a moment, but it's it's uh, it's been we've 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 had a lot of fun before we actually even got started on this podcast today. So um, I'm I'm sure we're going to have a good chat. Um, but I I think for for those people that have not um, heard you, I mean you've been on at least three podcasts uh, that that um, I'm aware of, um, and because you also did the uh, Women of Film podcast mm-hmm. with uh, with Rachel, Rachel. Um, yeah. of the Sunday 16 as well. Um, and the, what was that other one you've been on? That is uh, John Wilkening's podcast. That, that's it. So there's uh, there's three other podcasts out there. I've listened to two of them, and they were they were both very very interesting. Um, but I think this is a, this will be a good time for those people that aren't familiar uh, with with your work and and yourself. To if, if perhaps if you can give a an introduction about yourself, such as um, how you got into photography and um, how you pretty much got here today with the kind of work that you do now. Yeah. Um. Gladly. <laughs> um, yeah. How do I? How did I get into photography? And what do I do? Um, I, first of all, I don't actually consider myself an artist. I thought about this, and I had that also on my website years ago. And um, but I consider myself as a creative person that just uses, amongst other things, photography, but also painting. I write poems. Um, I make books, handmade books. Um, yeah, lots of things. Everything to express what I see and feel or how I see the world around me and how I feel inside. So, um, yeah, that is the basis of my work. And I love creating. I've done that not for a long time. I only started with what you would probably consider serious photography in 2012. And I guess we are going to talk about that a bit because when it's about lenses and cameras and things like that, that's when I got my first real camera. So no point in shoot, no uh, auto settings. Um, but uh, I jumped pretty much from auto point and shoot to a Leica M. Um, in that case, a digital one, but uh, it was it was the start of everything. Suddenly I could... I could start creating the world as I saw it or mm. as I felt it. And that was a, that made a huge difference to uh, what I'm doing today. So that was, that was the start of it. So it's not that long ago. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting ride with lots of analog and digital various lenses. I tried to write a list together of all the lenses that I've tried in those years. <clears throat> yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and just 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 think about how you how you got to. I mean, when, when you said in twenty twelve, yeah, was was that when you started doing it there? Uh, because I, I'm, I heard, obviously, I've I've listened to you before, and it it yeah. sounded as though you you had a a very serious career um, yeah. in business in 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 some some form uh, before <laughs> you um, started to do what you do now. Yeah. So was was that in 2012 when did you have a, a clean break between the two or did, did was there no. an overlap? No, that wasn't yet. That that was as so the the first break basically that was when I um had a burnout in 2007. Um that was the serious start of it all and it was quite serious, but that got me back into photography in a way. Before that I did snapshots and things like that. And then I started to see or I started to realize that I wanted to um, get deeper into photography because it, get, it 
gave me something. But the point and shoot obviously can't do all the things that I'm doing now with my work. So, um, but it took a while because I had a job in, in, in the finance environment in a really major international company with lots of traveling, lots of overtime, though it's not considered overtime when you're a manager. So um, I basically didn't have any, any spare time. And it took me another few years before I finally made the, the hard cut and said, okay, um, I'm leaving all that behind and um, concentrating completely on art, um, photography and everything that came with it as a major driver. But since then, I'm actually, <laughs> money is always an issue. So I'm actually kind of back uh, in the finance world, but this time um, with my husband's little company. So I'm doing the finances there. But that gives me luckily enough time to do all the other stuff on the side. So that's quite so, nice. So Isabel, um, yeah. I, I, I'm curious now because looking at your work uh, and some of your recent blog posts, <laughs> I, I was under the impression that um, you wish you shot a lot of large format. But what you yes. just said about your first real camera being a, a Leica <laughs> M and a digital one. Yeah. Uh, so in 2012, that was when the 240 came out. Is that is that what it was? Now there was actually a Leica M9P. Oh yeah, okay, okay. So it's still it's still an M9 model. Yeah. Um So what what was? I mean, I, I'm a I'm a lover of all things <laughs> Leica. Um, what was the uh, like? Why why was your first real camera Leica M? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, that's actually a really good question, and I I don't really have an answer to that. It was um, the first camera that I had it in my hands. I even don't, I can't really remember I, how I ended in the Leica store. Um, but <laughs> I had it in my hands and it just made click. Mm. And I saw some images online. Uh, I, I should say I had a, a Leica, what was it called? The small digital one, um, Deluxe. I had oh, well, a Leica yeah, Deluxe before. Yeah. So it was kind of, and I think I was thinking about upgrading. Yeah, now that I remember, I was thinking about upgrading that one, went to the store. And then they had a Leica M9P there, and I, I basically fell in love. It felt right, and um, it was just, I looked through the, the rangefinder, and it was just, yeah, that's what I want. Nice. What lens did you get it with? Um, at that point in time, I got the 50mm Samilux, the aspherical one. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that is a hell of a that is a hell of a first camera. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah, it was kind of like a step uh, up from a point and shoot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I I tried lots of different Leica lenses. I had a one what is it a twenty one millimeter Super Elmar, thirty five millimeter Samilux, uh, ninety millimeter Macro Elmar. I wrote them down so that I can remember them. Uh, oh, awesome. Hector one hundred thirty five. Yes. And then I used some size uh, 35 millimeter Biogon, a Vogtländer, yes. some Vogtländer, Helias 12 and 15, and a Nocturne, yes. and yep. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Okay, cool. It's, we're definitely going to have that conversation a little bit later on. That's <laughs> like rubbing my hands with glee. Anyway. <laughs> but I don't have any of that left. Oh. They're all sold. I'm, oh, a you buy and, I'm a buy, try, explore, experiment, and sell girl. Ah, Carl would be proud. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, let's let's have a let's have a talk about uh, your work and I, and mm-hmm. and for those people uh, listening that aren't driving in the car at the moment, um, I urge you to go to uh, Isabel's website. Uh, so that's Isabel Isabelcuades and that's uh, Isabel spelt as you would expect. And Cuades is uh, C U R D E S, and that's it dot uh, com, um, because. Uh, it's it's just well worth taking a, a trip to see Isabel's gallery, and when when I listened to you on Sunday sixteen, uh, one of the gallery one of the galleries or albums that was spoke about uh, spoken about was uh, something called uh, Where the Where Shadows Walk, mm-hmm. and uh, I have to say actually that left quite a, a mark on me um, because it's the I think the pictures are absolutely remarkable, um, and they're they're all black and white uh, i think there's some some toning going going yeah. on in there um yeah. and uh but are they are they digitally manipulated at all or are they actually straight yeah. straight Kill photos shift. no the only thing that is done um in as well, let's say at that point in time i used uh lightroom i think for the development or for the processing um, they are the all the images are done with a Hasselblad flex body, mm. so all the manipulation with regards to depth of field is done by tilting. Right. Mm. Yeah. So um, and it's um, it's a normal Hasselblad eighty millimeter lens. Um, it was, and then um, the only thing is, it's not film. That one is actually digital. That was done with a digital back on the Hasselblad. Yeah. Well, but uh, all the effects are—it's only basically the toning and some, yeah, the, the standard adjustments that you would do, maybe a little contrast or whatever. But um, I'm not—I'm not—I'm not saying I'm against digital manipulations because I have a friend who does incredible work. He's a digital artist, but it's not for me. I like to get things done, which we probably talk about later. Also, why I'm going away from film and uh, why I'm also reducing my processing significantly. I like mm. to get things done in camera. You see, the, the, but I'm, I found that fascinating there because uh, I was, I, lo- I looked at some of these. And I was thinking, are these large format? Uh, because there's, <laughs> that's what I thought too. Yeah, there's, there's clearly some dr- very dramatic movements in 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 the shots. I mean, I, yeah. I wanted to know if 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 they were movements versus um, you know, some, as I say, some very well done digital manipulation. So I mean, nope. I'm, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm. I'm 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 where I wanted to be on, on, on these. Um, so uh, I mean, there's a there's lucky a... me. <laughs> um, it was it's just been Isabel. Isabel, you broke off. We can't hear you anymore. <laughs> well, there's a there's a particular shot and and uh, and it's it's looking down a path. Yeah. And and we, you know, we've we've been having lots of conversations about Boker and um, or as, as Johnny would rather call it Uftar uh, <laughs> lately and uh, and and so on and and I think these are absolutely fascinating shots especially you know using the equipment that you that you've used there yeah. um, they I I think you know the majority of these shots I think could be could be put into the the the, the bokeh car- ca- uh, category, but they're not. Mm-hmm. They they all have something in there. Whether the photograph is about something, and yeah. what's going on in the outer focus area is really enhancing the the, the feel of of the of the photographs as as a whole. I think that's that's something that um, I also had to find out. That I, I'm a fan. I love bokeh or. 
But I don't like it for its own sake. I tried some lenses that do that for yeah, for the sake of the of the bokeh. I like them to be part of the story. Mm-hmm. I like the background and, and background is actually for me it's equally important as the foreground or as the focus element. I like to have an element in focus and I like the area around to to basically complement the story, to finish the story of that element. Um, so I'm, I'm not really good at this um, doing a shot just for the bokeh. Yeah, I, I, I was just looking at these thinking too that, you know, seeing several images that are related to each other, there's a context between the images mm-hmm. so that it's, you know, sometimes a single photo of a single, you know, object that's, that that is heavily you know bokeh shall we say sometimes that that single image out of context doesn't there's not as much holding it together but when especially when there's several images together and i think the fact that there is a i feel like the the way you've positioned this set of images where you have like that view down a path at both the start and the end i mean to me it all holds together that there's a context for that out of focusness that it's like you're you know you're seeing this uh, a space mm. so it's it's not even just the individual photo and the book mm-hmm. and the individual photos it's the way they all work together so it, yeah. it's more than the sum of the parts right yeah and I, I work a lot actually in series uh, I also have some um, some single images um, but but most of my current work is done in in small stories I call them. Yeah. So um, that's just how I like to work. Some of them might stand individually. Others I think individually they're not really meaningful. But when they pu- are put together, and that's yeah. what what bokeh basically does for me. It puts it together. It brings the elements together, and it adds kind of like this this kind of more dreamy feel to it. Yeah. 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 Th- that- that feel that you mentioned. Um, oh, sorry, Johnny, go ahead. No, no, go right ahead, Perry. Uh, yeah, th- that feel that you mentioned, I think, is really striking because I'm looking at your um, pictures from where the shadows walk and also beyond dark walls. Mm-hmm. And the thing that strikes me is like there's a clear subject matter um, with the the cathedral or the church in beyond dark walls, mm-hmm. whereas uh, some of these shots in the forest um, in where shadows walk, it's really about. I think I look at it and I'm like, I don't really know what the subject matter is, but I get the kind of feeling that the mm-hmm. image is trying to evoke. But but an interesting thing about both of those series, I think, is the way that you're um, sort of tilting and shifting the lens to use the depth of field to really, like, draw your attention and, like, draw your eye into the frame. Um, and and what I'm wondering is, like, two things. Number one, mm-hmm. I've, I've only ever used tilt-shift lenses, like, once for architecture, to mm-hmm. correct like vertical perspective. So these shots you've got in these two series where the depth of field, um, like the plane of focus is perpendicular to the sensor rather yeah. than parallel to the sensor. Um, I guess my question here is number one, how do you do that? Uh, and number two, <laughs> um, what what's the thought process behind making that decision? Because like that's really distinctive looking and like I just keep looking at these pictures going like, whoa, that's different. <laughs> Well, that's what the flex body, the Hasselblad flex body could do. You can uh, get um, a tilt or if you turn the camera a swing that goes up to, I think it was over 20 degrees. So you really get this this perpendicular look. 
by doing that. So it's a it's a really really extreme tilt that I use in some of the images. Like when you're in mm. the cathedral, um, the last one where you see you probably don't see it in the small version, but when you have it larger, you see that there is a choir actually standing and singing. And um, yep. that also brings me to the thought process. The whole thing was that I wanted to kind of show the how the music goes through the whole building. So uh, I, I didn't uh. want anything in the top. I didn't want any pillars in focus or whatever. I, I wanted to have that just filled with with the sound that and how I felt when I heard them singing. Oh yeah, yeah. I see so, that. So um, cool. I, I needed I needed to have the choir in focus, and it's nice because. I have the connection with the choir because we are kind of on the same level, on the same plane of focus, and then all the rest is just filled with, in this case, music. Of course, you don't know that when you haven't been there, but um, so so there's always something in there that that um, made me choose a certain level of uh, tilt or swing. I say, mm. okay, I want to have that kind of like the the path that uh, Simon mentioned in the in the where shadows walk. It was that long, dark path in the first picture that's just leading into darkness and then tied back with the with my um, poem at the top. I don't know if you saw that one, but it's about when you when you walk into the forest and you're afraid of that darkness. And suddenly when you're walking, you realize and you wake up from that reality of the darkness and get into that state of dreaming. So you don't mm. wake up the other way around. But in my case, you wake up from reality. And for that, I needed then to to change the the tilt accordingly. So, but that's um, it's not a mathematical thing how I do my tilts. It's not about what when you do landscape or architectural photography, you have to really adjust it so that it's completely precise. This is more about finding the the sweet spot in a way. Now it feels right. Now on the ground glass or whatever I had on the digital back, it looked exactly the way I felt. So, I'm just looking at these 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 photographs. They, they, there's a very distinct style. They they they're all tied together. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to know about what came first. Did you have a vision that you wanted to uh, create, and you think I need a tilt shift system, or did somehow a tilt shift system come into your life and you went out and thought, this is interesting. I think I can do this with, or is it, or is it something else again? <laughs> um, it, it is more of a tilt shift system came into my life and I found out that that is what I can do with it. I'm not really the, the planning type. I don't plan precisely. I should say I have a, an idea. I have a, um, yeah, I have a repertoire. I, I know how certain things like a tilt, how it works, so what I could create with it technically. Um, but that doesn't mean that I go out and say, I, I didn't go to, that is by the way, Eli Cathedral in the UK. So I didn't go there and say, okay, I'm going to do this. Because I didn't know that there was a choir singing that morning. I didn't know that we would have a gray and rainy day and it looked really dreary and, and cold and, and kind of rejecting from the outside. And then it was suddenly filled with that warmth of the song. I, that happens and then I adjust accordingly and on that day luckily I had my flex body with me so it's that's nothing awesome. it's nothing of that is really planned or the other one where shadows walk that's actually done in um, Epping Forest in London so I was walking in the UK <laughs> that's why <I'm laughs> 
<laughs> so, um, and, and it's just, it's the, the trigger is always how I feel about a certain scene. And then I can just hope that I have the right tools with me. I think it's a, the, the cathedral shots are a great example of what you can do when the light isn't great. And you, <laughs> yeah. you, you make the most of the available light that you have and you think more uh, uh, creatively about how to actually use use that light. Uh, because there'll be plenty of times where somebody might turn up on, on that day to do some photography or and, and they'll think, well, what's the point in that? And they'll mm. go home and you stayed mm -hmm. and you, you delivered something because you could see. I, th I, think, I think it must be said, I think that if you didn't have that equipment with you, uh, they were able to do those kind of movements and things, and it was just something that was going to give you straight shots, so to mm -hmm. speak. I, I wonder. I wonder if you would have had the 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 creative desire to actually go in there and actually attempt to take some of some of these shots. In fact, I guess you just wouldn't take some of these shots if you didn't have yeah. that type of equipment with you. Yeah, correct. I, I just simply wouldn't take them. Yeah, that I, I that would have uh... taken something else probably, and, and I don't know what. But um, I'm, I'm always I'm always shooting from the moment, um, so uh, something would have come up. I'm I'm just there. I'm just waiting. Usually, that something comes up, an idea, a feeling, um, whatever. Something flies by. Something walks by. I see a light pattern. I something happens, and then I adjust to that. So I think something else might have happened, but this particular project would not have worked. If I yeah, didn't that, have that, just, that, yeah, sorry. No, sorry, go on, go, go ahead. If I hadn't had that flex body with me on that morning, that project Beyond Dark Walls or also the other one, they would not be there. I wouldn't even have attempted it. So it's, it's interesting that you say that because it just, it reminds me of a <coughs> conversation we were having last week about how, you know, some people will say the camera doesn't matter, but it really does in terms of the way that it, shapes the kind of compositional elements that you're able to both see and manipulate when you're making an image, right? Yeah, definitely. For me, it does. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm with you 100% on that. You know, like trying to compose with a Leica M rangefinder, it's very limiting on the kinds of things that uh, it yeah. lets you do. But for, for those kinds of shooting, it's the best tool, right? Exactly. But, you, know, you can't do tilt shift with it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I haven't found. Yeah, you could probably you could do some freelancing or something like that. But well, uh, you know, I, I um, didn't try that. <laughs> ha ha Hamish Gill of 35 MMC has recently stuck a Nikon tilt shift lens onto his M10 mm -hmm. and has been messing around with that. So I guess it is possible, but it just seems like a very strange uh, tool yeah. to use. And for it, that you job. probably, I would guess, you would need. Um, yeah, it, it would not My have opinion. worked with the M9. Because uh, it didn't have a um, nah, EVF. Yeah, there's no live view. Yeah, so no. you you wouldn't be able to do it on no. M9. So with my worst version, it would not have worked. <laughs> yeah. So I Isabel, I, I looking through your work. I mean, you do a lot of painting as well as photography, right? Yeah, I do. So one thing that you often hear people talk about is, you know, when you're painting, you're adding whatever elements you want to the uh, to your composition and your image. Mm -hmm. Whereas with photography, it's often a struggle to compose and remove the distracting elements. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering, like, when it comes to creating an image, um, how how you sort of experience the difference in mindset in the way that you approach creating a painting versus uh, uh, making a photograph, and and less from a technical level and more mm -hmm. from sort of 
just that the mentality of uh, and the intention of making the image in the first place. I don't think actually that there is a di big difference for me. I think I approach them the same way. I approach them from from the inside out. So what I feel, how how it feels, um, and then I try to. Of course, when you when you are with a camera, you have certain limitations. But um, I wouldn't go. Most of my work is, for example, not done in cities because for me there is too much clutter. For my uh -huh. the, for, for me to feel good in that environment. So you will see that lots of my work is, and if I go into cities, I'll probably abstract them quite significantly also in camera, not um, not digitally as a, not afterwards in processing. Um, I do like double exposures or just focus on small parts or ICM work or whatever um, to, to take that, to take those distractions out of the equation. That's of course easier with, with painting, but painting for me is, at the moment, what I'm working with is really is going even more abstract. I'm trying to um, work in a more uh, cubist style, for example. I don't know if you've heard of Lionel Feininger, yeah. or uh, okay. th that's that's more the direction I'm experimenting with. So it's it's more of a different direction, really, to it. It's an element that I can't do that well with photography. I've tried, but I like it better with painting, or I do very abstract work that is just flowing out of the brush um so things like that and while i'm while i can see that my photography is also in certain areas going in that direction over the, or has been going over the uh, last few years in that direction to be more abstract and really focus on on emotion really focus on um yeah not what i see but what i feel and and um, with painting it's just a step easier it's just a little bit easier, but otherwise it's not a big difference. I, I basically use the same, the same themes. There is, um, there's trees in both in photography and in, in painting. There is, um, an element of calmness or stillness in both. There is not too much clutter in both. So it's, it's kind of, um, I, I think I approach it quite similarly. So, okay. So when I looked at your, um, your cities in the cloud series where you've got sort yeah. of elements of a city uh, sort of double exposed and flipped on each other. Mm -hmm. um, I assumed that this was done when I looked at the pictures, I thought they were done like either in a dark room or it digitally afterwards, but you're saying nope. these are double exposures on film. They are not on film, but they are done with a Hasselblad. Uh, they are double so are you exposures just... on a digital Hasselblad also on the, on a digital back with a Hasselblad. Yes. So are you literally just like flipping it upside down? Yes. Oh, interesting. Uh, cool. Which is, I can tell you, the Hasselblad is <clears throat> not the most, the best tool to do that with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get in, you run into small problems, but it works, as you can see. It does work. Wait, wait, how? <laughs> um, <laughs> just from a tripod logistics perspective. No, nope, no tripod. Handheld. Handheld? Yes. And you're not using the prism finder and cheating. Nope. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now that you mention it, I can see that like the first picture where it's, I, I can't really tell what kind of building it is, but the spacing on left and right is not exactly even. So that, Correct. That, yeah. Okay. They are, they are, all of them are imperfect in a way, which for me makes them perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's a very sort of Japanese, um, what's yes. the word? 
ladies. I, I, I tried to say that when my pictures go wrong as well. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a word, the, the kind of Japanese mentality of like, it's the slight imperfections that make it perfect. So if you go to a Japanese like yeah. Zen garden, you'll see like the perfectly um, swept and manicured sand and they'll always like throw a random leaf in there or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because it's that like slight bit of imperfection that makes the image or the entire scene more realistic and more yeah. complete, yeah. right? And it's, yeah, yeah, I put the word for that. It gives it the soul in a way. Uh, I'm just look looking at your your, your images, and and we were chatting beforehand. And on your site, uh, the images. This is a, a general thing. The images at the at the bottom of the page are generally older than the ones at the top, mm -hmm. and you can you can definitely see a, a transition going mm -hmm. on uh, between the, your older work and and your newer work. And uh, I mean, certainly there was. In sort of, there's more of a chance of seeing something where you're being further away from your subject matter with your older work, and then the the the, the work you're doing now is very close up. You know, it's yeah. um, yeah. certainly in the realms of macro. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm and you've you've already and you touched upon it as well as in like you and you, and you can see it with your old, other stuff as well as in like it, it, most of it is abstract in some way, and yeah. but now it's it's really close up abstract so so what how, how did that happen um, how did you go make that why why did you make that transition and would, would you or do you even know why you did that <laughs> no because it felt right <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can only say it was for me it was the right thing to express myself and i can't say that tomorrow i won't go out and shoot another okay i don't have a flex body anymore but um i'll have some means to still do my tilting um, so, and if it's freelancing, then that may be it. Um, to still do projects like Where Shadows Walk or Beyond Dark Walls, they, they are not that, they haven't been done that long ago. So they're still um, part of what I would consider my current work. Um, but uh, current, as a really right now, over the last few months, since I started picking up photography again, um, to a larger extent, I've done really close-ups because that was something I could easily do here. I'm a bit housebound at the moment. With uh, We had some problems with our dogs and lots of things coming together. And I needed to find uh, a way to express myself without being able to travel, for example. And that's how I got into, into really close-ups. And some of them are definitely closer than one-to-one -one or more macro than one-to-one. -one. I mean, you're using, uh, in, in many cases, the, the, there's an extremely shallow uh, depth of field yeah. uh, going on. And I'm just looking in, in the album now, which is uh, red as blood, white as, as hope and black as sorrow. Mm -hmm. and, and you've got some pictures. I, 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 are, they, are they poppies? Are they, are yeah. They, yeah. Those are, that's a poppy. That's it. I'm just, I'm just looking at... Um, one shot in particular, and you can just about get part of the stamen in focus, and everything else is you. Know, you can see what's going on. You you know what it what it's about. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it it's the way that the the rest of the the centre of the flower falls away out of focus. It's almost as if like it's it's in a milky solution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and again, is that is that something that you've? It's a, clearly a digital shot. I'm saying that yep. as if I know it. Uh, um, okay, it is I'm, a digital I'm, shot. I'm, I'm glad I got that right. Um, and uh, and I'm I'm just wondering again: have you have you done anything in, with layers and things like that, or nope. is this uh, it's, it's 
all in Lightroom no. again. Actually, these um, the uh, those six images, they are straight out of camera. Well, so they they they're straight JPEGs, or not JPEGs, oh, but, but raw, they but... are raw and without any processing. Right. So they're just like they were in the camera. Well, that that's that's an interesting that's very interesting <laughs> in in itself there because um, I'd imagine I mean I'm certainly a raw a raw shooter. And even when a photograph comes out in RAW, and I think, oh, that's worked, and I like that, I can't help but just to help <laughs> it a little bit along rather than just leave it. Um, I can probably count my on one hand how many times I've actually left a RAW shot alone. And, mm -hmm. and I can see now, if, I, if I'd actually taken that shot myself, and mm -hmm. let's say I was there and everything was, was exactly the same, I, I know I would have been tempted to have done something, whether I needed to or not. And yeah. then clearly, there was no need to do anything here. And I'll be there thinking, you know, perhaps I might want to put a bit, bit more contrast in it or just deepen the blacks or so, so, something mm -hmm. like that, which is just my normal way of doing it. But you've had the self-control to think, I like that, that works for me, and that's how it's going to stay. And I, I admire that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, guys, have you got have you any, any comments on that? Wabi sabi. That's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's one of them. <laughs> sorry, that's that's the Japanese term I was looking for earlier. I realized that ah, made no sense to you guys out of context. That's um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I Isabel. Um, the photos that you've got where uh, the series called "With All Senses." This is kind of interesting to me because on their own, the photos don't really make that much sense. It's like, oh, it's a picture of a dog. Mm -hmm. But when you have the title and then, you know, like the picture of like the nose, the eyes and the ears, like it makes total sense, right? It's a mm -hmm. picture of all the, a, a series of the dog's, you know, um, sensory functions, I guess. Um, so it, what I guess what I'm wondering is like, when you add something like um, a title or a poem or some text to mm -hmm. tie together the series of images, um, you know, do you think, do you find that that's essential to like the viewer or to your creative process or does that come afterwards? Cause like I, I don't ever put titles on my work, mm. um, but only recently, partly because of Johnny actually, I've started taking some of my X-Pan photos and putting them uh, in triptychs yeah. so that partly so that they'll fit the Instagram format. And I'm finding like this, <laughs> uh, this <laughs> and it's annoying, right? And I'm finding that this whole process of like of finding the images that will work together to tell a series as a group rather than as individual pictures is kind of a cool experience. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm wondering sort of what your thoughts are on that and also with the addition of the text. For me, um, a lot of my, my recent projects, they originated from triptychs. So you're going the right way. <laughs> I, I started because I wanted to explore um, a, a, yeah, an object or a situation or just something from different angles. And that's how I started doing more and more triptychs. I, I thought that one straight on shot that, that wasn't enough for me to explain all the facets basically of something mm. um so i started 
pretty early. It was probably the first ones I already did also in 2013 or so um, with triptychs. And when, when you have a triptych, to, for me to put it together, a title was always there. There was a title. I never had to really think about the title. It was there when I, when I had the work finished, there was also a title. When it wasn't there from the beginning, when I shot the images, it came when I put them together and picked the ones that I really wanted to have um, together in the, in the triptych. And there was somehow always a title. Um, with, the, with the poems, it's a bit different. Sometimes the poem is first and sometimes the images are first and the poem comes after. And sometimes the poem just comes up when I, when I work on the images or when I create them. So it, that, that's a bit different. But with the title, yeah, it was just there. When it's, it was done, there was also a title. And for me, it makes sense to have that title. But I'm doing that for me. I'm not doing that because I think someone might want to have a title. In the beginning, each individual image had a title. Um, I've given up on that one long ago because that... Okay, uh, we just had a little technical glitch there uh, and lost Isabel's audio, but I think we're all back. Is that right? Yep, I'm back. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, so we were talking about uh, triptychs and your addition of titles as you know, something that you do for yourself and not so much for uh, necessarily for the viewer. Yeah. Um, so just just to wrap up that uh, line of thinking, when you're making these um, images, whether it's painting or photography, are you trying to get your viewer to feel the exact same thing as you? No. Or are you trying to leave it up to interpretation? Yeah, I leave it up to them. Um, ah. For me, it's it's... I think it's nice when they when they can see what I felt or can feel what I felt. But um, I'm very open to any form of interpretation as long as I can get someone to feel something. I had, for example, an interesting discussion with someone about my um, the the one gallery that's called Transcending, where for me I call it the story of a beautiful death, and he actually told me for him it felt more like a birth. So exactly the opposite. But we knew both where we were coming from when we discussed it. And I could, I could see his point. I could see why he would feel that because there, was a, there is a certain element of rebirth or of transition um, in both ways. So um, that was quite interesting. And I'm, I was really happy that he just told me. So the most important thing for me is that there is a feeling on the other side, that someone can feel something when they look at it. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting because when you were talking about the uh, picture in the church with the choir mm -hmm. and how for you that was uh, almost showcasing the way that sound was reverberating through the space, I, mm -hmm. I never would have made that connection no. um, unless you, uh, without you saying that. But like when I do, when I look at that image, there's definitely like a feel to the, the shot. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's just always a really interesting um well, not so much attention, but a thought process when you're creating an image. Because, like, for me, I, I do mostly street photography. And a lot of the times when I'm creating an image and composing, there's a specific uh, story that I'm trying to tell with the way that I'm putting together the composition. Mm. And it, it, it's like when people don't get that from the image or uh, or especially when they do get that from the image, like, I get an extreme sense of satisfaction. Um but it's really interesting to see that other approach where it's like, I'm just going to put this image out there 
And then, you know, as long as it makes you look at it for a while and like have some kind of emotional bond and reaction, if it's totally different from the one that you have as an artist, that's that's kind of okay. Yeah, I think it's because I don't I don't create for anyone else but for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to share and I love the feedback and I, um, I, I would be lying if it wasn't nice. <laughs> but um, on the other hand, it's not um, I've. I tried the other way around, but it's uh, it just doesn't work for me because then I cannot get myself and my feelings into my images. Yeah, yeah, and I see. To me, that's what I, I've been really just kind of quietly going through your images, <laughs> and no, it really comes through. And I and I think that's to me that's what's successful about them. Um, in the most is that it feels like it it's a personal vision that you're working on trying to create and that titles you know they mean something probably more to you necessarily than they will to the viewer but they let they let the viewer kind of find their own pathway in based on that but you bring your own thing to it right but i mean the mm -hmm. thing that i go back to is i guess i i just i appreciate um i guess photographs or artwork where the creator kind of doesn't give a shit <laughs> <laughs> who, who else gets it? And I mean, in, in the and I mean that in the best possible way because you're gonna if you have anybody else's kind of agendas or whatever's in mind, yeah, it, right. I mean, it's like you have to get to like the core of what what it is that you're trying to do, and that's purely yours. It doesn't belong to anyone else. And to me, I I really like work like that where you know I know that like you're never gonna get it as the viewer a hundred percent, but that's yeah. great. That's like the mystery of it is it's it's coming yes. from someone else's mind and psyche and feelings and emotions. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like a little yeah, you you're offering a little piece of your soul, but totally, yeah. The other one can take it or leave it. And sure. I, I don't I don't mind. And yeah. if they say, Oh, I don't like that at all, I don't understand abstract work at all. Yeah, fine. That's okay. <laughs> right. I understand that. I don't understand other words. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I like the fact that you say that you, you're you're making it for yourself and you're sharing it, and it's it's great if other people get some things out of it. But I I love work that is really sort of clearly made by the maker to accomplish a vision that they have of their own. I mean, I, to me, I think that's where great work comes from. It has to be really true to the person who's making it and it feels that way to me thank you um i want to move the conversation on a little bit now uh to pretty much how the, the reason for how this uh this interview has, has come about uh because I've, i follow you on on twitter and mm -hmm. i think it was about two weeks ago you put an announcement out there uh, that shocked a, a lot of people. Um, a lot of people were very, very um, uh, polite, I, I think, and uh, because it was a case of you, you said something that um, was is, is not what a lot of people would want to hear, yeah. and uh, and that was that you had disposed. Of all, I'm not sure if it actually really is all, but uh, I think that's that's what you'd said. Um, all of your uh, film equipment, cameras, yeah. I should say, yeah. um, and and you're going to concentrate on digital, yeah. And so I'd I'd like to hear um, how you came to make that decision. Although I also have to say, after 
listening to some of the things you've said along the way in, in, in our chat, I think I do actually understand you a little bit better now than I did when I, fir when I first saw that, because it did actually come as a bit of a shock, because you do try things and you move on. Yeah. Um, and, and I've got nothing, I've not really heard much to say that you've actually missed anything that you've, that, that's gone. So, no. uh, so if, before I try and put more words into your mouth, um, <laughs> perhaps you might want to explain, uh, you know, how you, how you got to that, that, that point. Yeah. As for me, um, it was a matter of that. I noticed that I did not create as much work anymore as I wanted to create. I did not take as many photos anymore. Of course, I had also more more on the painting side at the moment, and there were a lot of other things going on. But I noticed that I did not enjoy photography the same way anymore than I did in the past. And um, that usually for me is a sign that something needs to change. There is a, on my blog, you probably also read, there's a long list of things that I that are listed why I actually left left film behind. But the most, if I also relating to our podcast today, the most important ones for me were that I noticed that it's not the camera that made my images. It doesn't matter whether it's a film um, Hasselblad or a digital Hasselblad bag or whether it's a 4x5 camera or was an 8x10 camera. The camera was not the driving factor. The driving factor for me, what, what made the help me transfer my vision into an image was the lens. So I wanted to make it easier on myself because the time that I spent in the dark room processing film, that was time I could not spend outside taking images and creating work. And that was, that was time I was really missing. That was time that it was really fun and it was really exciting to develop film in the beginning, to do my first black and white film, to do my first E6 um, slide development. It was exciting. It, it gave me lots of pleasure. But in the end, it got in the way of what I wanted to really do, and that is make images, take photos. Because there's a limited amount of time. And um, then comes another part of me I'm, I'm i'm a minimalist at heart that's also where i have this buy and sell mentality i move on i move to a new thing and i i need to basically get rid of the rest um otherwise my brain gets on overload <laughs> then i can't create anything anymore so i actually had too much gear and i could not focus on what i really wanted to create and the third part the third really important area is that um with going more and more abstract, also more and more into the, um, also some of the recent projects like melancholy, there is a lot of um, melancholy. There is a lot of double exposures and things like that. It is actually easier to see the image on the back of the of the camera when you take it, oh, or yeah. when you've just yeah. taken it. And with film, I always had this that I had the feeling either I miss the opportunity because maybe that shot went wrong maybe i didn't get it exactly right maybe and with film i could not be 100 percent sure until i had it developed and uh, with digital i can see did i get it did i miss that opportunity yes or no and mm. i cannot as as my photography comes from inside i cannot get into the same mood in the same situation ever again i can't recreate that i can't just wait for another sunrise it's not the same because I won't be the same. Does that make sense? Totally. Completely. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. it really does. 
Um, and that's um, why I left film and went all the way to digital again, except for lenses. <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, we, uh, I, was, I was thinking, do I, do I insert... Oops. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, um, I was just 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 thinking to myself when you when you uh, said about it, it's all about the lenses. I was, I was thinking, do I insert a, a piece of music into the podcast here? Um, <laughs> um, so uh, yes, you're you're well welcome to the show, Isabel. Uh, you're, uh, yes, that, that, that's that's the kind of thing we like to hear. But it, it's one thing I just want to go go back to you though on on your decision. Uh, mm-hmm. You say it's not about the camera; it's about the lens and and, and mm-hmm. so on. Um, there's 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 one piece that's that's um not really touched upon yes mm-hmm. I, I totally get where you're coming from and I'm, I'm not trying to talk you out of this or anything like that you know <laughs> you couldn't anyway no, exactly ex- exactly <laughs> precisely um but it's not not so much about the equipment uh, but about the about film the, the 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 look and the feel of film now it could well be and it, and it sounds like it well you've 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 done it you know what film will do for you and yeah. I'm doing it again. I'm putting words in your mouth. Um, and, um, Don't worry. Yeah. I'll correct you if they're not right. <laughs> um, so uh, it, at times, were there, were there times, in the same way as you, you, you go into your photography and you want you know pretty much what you're trying to create, mm-hmm. did, did you go into film photography and, yes, you would use a, a specific lens or a specific camera body to do that might, deliver something there but were you also choosing the type of film um, and the kind of processing that you were doing also to give you the look that you were after and would you have with with hindsight could you have done the same with digital um i yes i chose the film and um also the processing that i did to a company or to to yeah get the look that i wanted um and for me, it's also when I look at my film images, I like those film images best that are done. <laughs> and that's exactly against most what most like that are done with low grain as a really basically no grain. So I was using um, Pen F, for example, in film for black and white or um, the Delta films from Ilford because they gave me... <laughs> Not that big grain that a, that a um, Tri-X or so has, but the smooth one. And I process or de- develop them then in Pazeptol to make it even smoother. And I like the uh, slide film because there was hardly any grain. It was really smooth. So could I have done some of my images also digitally? Yes, I guess so. Would I say the same thing if I had chosen something like Tri-X as my preferred one? No, I th- I still think you can see a difference between a digital uh, file that is done like Tri-X and a real Tri-X shot. Totally. But that wasn't, yeah. my, that wasn't my style. My style is anyway dreamy and soft and creamy. And I get that with digital as much as I can get that with film. I know now, I know that, I know that now. <laughs> yeah. That, I, see, I totally, I, that totally makes sense to me because that, that's what I was noticing going through your work as well is that I, you know, it's a great example of it. Just pick the right tool for what you want to do. I mean, yeah. and, and this looks like the right tool because even the even the work that is film, it, like you're saying, it doesn't have a I would almost call a, a like a characteristically analog look to it. You know, no. it yeah. it doesn't like that's not the 
purpose behind it's not like gritty street shots where no exactly you know you want it you want film grain there because that it just fits the subject this totally the, the processes you're using really fit your vision and it doesn't really matter if they're film or digital or or whatever but i mean it to me it makes way more sense that you would do this work digitally because like you said it's about capturing it in camera in the moment and you can actually see what you're doing yep. on digital you don't have to wait and did i get it right did i not get it right i mean yep. you can judge your depth of field in real time versus you can't really do that on film because you just can't you know yeah so I, to me that i see i don't see why there's any difference whether it's an analog based you know work or digital work in this case because it's not the analog isn't really adding that thing to it that people think analog has to add to everything you know no at least not for for that type i don't think anyone yeah. would really see a difference between the transcending um gallery or the the um, story that was done with film to um yeah whatever elusive dance or red as blood I don't think you can really tell because they're both smooth. They're as smooth as possible. The colors are bright and it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what you said earlier about double exposures, I mean, it totally makes sense. Yeah. I, I'm looking at some of your um, memories of ghost pictures of this mm -hmm. like naked guy in the forest. Yep. Um, and the placement of like his head relative to the branches. There's, there's like a moon. Yeah. right in the middle of his chest in one of the images there's like the placement of, of his ass in one of the pictures um <laughs> like you know you you wouldn't be yes. able to do that precisely right and you don't want like a, a, i mean <laughs> a tree growing out <laughs> of the wrong place yeah <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> very true <laughs> um so so isabel um you know you mentioned that you started with leica m somewhere along the way there was a hasselblad with a digital back can yeah. you just run us through like that gear evolution up until <laughs> you know what you have kept uh, now? Yeah, the, um, gladly, <laughs> but that will be a long one. Let's start just oh, briefly with the cameras. Um, so I started with the Leica M9P. I also then in 2013, end of 2013, beginning to 2014, I got a Hasselblad 903 SWC with a 38 millimeter Biogon. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't have that anymore. <laughs> I had a Hasselblad 501. I had a Hasselblad 503. Um, figured out that for the lenses that I wanted to use, I needed a Hasselblad 2000 FCW, or at least a Hasselblad 2000 in whichever form, which I got, which was also my last Hasselblad that I had. I had the La Hasselblad Flexbody lenses. For Hasselblad, I used um, I used the size Distagon uh, 60mm 3.5, the Plana 80mm 2.8, the Macro Plana 120mm, the Sona 150 2.8, the Distagon 50mm 2.8, and um, the Plana 110 F2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, which then brought me to the cameras that I was using kind of in parallel at that Hasselblad time. I had a Rollei Flex and a Rollei Cord for a while. And then I got a 4x5 camera. I had an Arca Swiss 4x5 camera. 
and um, also an intrepid at one point in time, and a Chamonix. And lenses, yeah, that's a bit uh, interesting. I have an interesting mix, but most of them are actually soft-focused ones. And I used also some no-name ones, uh, nameless uh, Petzval in a, an old meniscus lens, um, so 100-plus years old. I also had a Rodenstock Randergon, a Schneider Kreuznach Xena, 150mm 4.5, a Maya Görlitz Trioplan, um, Wollensack Verito, Herr Magis Eidoskop, Kodak Aero Ekta, a Taylor Hobson <laughs> <laughs> Anastigmat, 165mm f2.5, a oh. Taylor Hobson Soft Focus Portrait Lens, uh, 13 inch and the uh, 16 inch, no, what is it? 12 inch and 16 inch. Um, and the cook, the new cook one that they made on basis of the, uh, oh, what's that one called? Um, as a, this cook, uh, PS 945, the 229 millimeter, there's a soft focus, modern soft focus one. They made it on basis of the, oh, another old soft focus lens. I can't remember the name right now. Uh -huh. Um, so lots of different things there. And uh, that leaves the ones that I keep at the moment. That's actually an 80 millimeter uh, 1.9 Mamiya. And then I have oh three, nice. <laughs> then I have three Pentax lenses, the 105 uh, 2.4, the 120 f4 soft focus, and the 165 2.8. And then I'm. I was going to say, uh, is, is, Isabel, we, we need we, we need to stop the flow of lenses here because we can't we can't cope with it. Um, I mean, that's a that's a an, an incredible um, array of uh, of lenses that you've 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 had and yeah. used and, uh, and and sold again and and sold again. Um, yes. as as John said earlier, Carl Carl would have been proud of you. Um, um, yeah, um, let's. I'm, I do want to talk about the lenses you have now, and yes. and um, without. I mean, just to just to pace the conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, how, how many lenses do you, do you have in your collection at the moment? Well, how many lenses do you have at the moment? Just. I have. Let me think. I have those three Pentax lenses, the Mamiya. Then I have a Lomo, um, one of these projection lenses. And um, then I'm experimenting with my own homemade, but those those are basically the ones that I'm that I'm keeping. Okay. Okay. Oh, so I still have a I still have the Hamagis uh, idoscope that I think I might actually adapt to um, the Fuji camera that I have. Right. So, right. what camera are you using them on? Uh, the GFX Fuji GFX. Ah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, mm. I needed to have one with a relatively large sensor. Um, yeah, because there's a lot of six, four, five lenses there. Yeah. And are, are you using? Uh, do, are you still using shift? Have you got any shift adapters? Is that something you want to do again, or is that another thing you've moved on from? Um, I'm at the moment. I'm uh, kind of building my own um, for freelancing. So uh, I, I don't have one right now, but I'm doing it freelancing with just a, just a, yeah, just basically a cloth in between to get some of the light blocked out. I, I, Which works quite nicely because most of these lenses, um, they they have the right uh, distance from the from the film plane, yeah. so I have quite a bit of uh, space to maneuver. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting what you're doing there. So uh, using, let's say, using a cloth, because what some people might <laughs> do in the past would be to, say in the past, still do, um, to get some like rubber tube and, and, and yeah. things like that. Um, but I mean, you, you just come up with something that just anyone can do because, the, yeah. Yeah, because not everybody's got access to the correct diameter of rubber tube the, and, and, and so on. Yeah. But we've all got access to, to cloths and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just especially if it can, if it can be relatively dark and, and it doesn't actually have to be light tight, does it? Because sometimes no. those, those bits of light that come in add yeah. to the, to the picture as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's not about perfection. The imperfect is the perfect. So which, which was the lens you used last that you were happy with the results that it gave you? I think those last four are really the ones I'm happy with. And before that, I'm, I was really, really happy and using for a long time my 110mm uh, Hasselblad planner. That's a, that's a great lens. It um, just um, th That one was just, yeah, it just is nice to sell because uh, it finances a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah. Um, can, can, I, can I back you up a little bit, Isabel? Because, you know, <laughs> a couple episodes ago, people were giving me a bit of grief for using expensive lenses. And, and now yeah. this is like, ah, yes, this is, this is right <laughs> up my alley. Um, okay, I want to ask you about two, two lenses in particular. The, yeah. the Cook PS945. Yeah. Uh, so this is the kind of lens that, like, you'd find in, among collectors' homes here in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, this I think this kind of lens I think is really interesting. This one and the Hermagis uh, Idoscope. Mm -hmm. Also, in addition to that, I'm really happy that we have you on like audio record pronouncing all of those German names correctly. <laughs> I was taking notes. You mean the Maya Görlitz Trio plan? Yeah, exactly. And so that we can come back. Yeah. And the place where, where Schneiders are made as well. That was, that was another... Kreuznacht. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. um, so anyway, uh, these large format, uh, like four by five, soft focus lenses yeah. um, are super interesting to me because it is no secret that I have like uh, a certain level of disdain for 35 millimeter soft focus lenses such as the Leica Thambar. Mm -hmm. uh, but on large format, for portraiture at least, when you have the soft focus lenses, like because the details are still retained mm -hmm. um, and the glow is not so uh, unpleasantly in your face, I really like the look of these lenses. And I was wondering, like, what were you using uh, the soft focus effect for? Um, um, you have, for example, when you look at my galleries, uh, Beyond the Veil, uh -huh. there's, uh, there's one with these allium flowers, and there's also some other flowers. That was done with the Cook PS945. Uh, and which, okay. and which, which camera were you using for that? That was, um, I think it was the Arca Swiss. Right, so they are they are large format photos, yeah. Yeah, these are four by five. Yeah, yeah. those are four by five film. Yeah, and and this is like exactly the look I'm talking about because you have that soft glowiness, but it's not at the expense of of the detail yeah. or that large format like pop. Um, mm -hmm. So you really do get that like wonderful 3D effect with all the glowiness and the bokeh together, and it's just I think it's just such a wonderful, wonderful look. Yeah, I think it's um, because it's more kind of superimposed. Uh, there is this glowy part, and yeah. then there is actually a sharp part on top. I, I really did lots of research in in into um, soft focus lenses because I really absolutely enjoy the look, but some of them are just they're just over the top. You don't yeah, see like, anything like anymore. It, it's just mm -hmm. okay, yeah, nice. 
but that's not the look I want. <laughs> yeah, and, and the one um, which is kind of like a close-up of these flowers where it's like a semicircle on the right-hand side of the frame, yeah. I think that demonstrates the look that you're describing like absolutely perfectly. Mm. Um, and, and I really think that this is the right medium for using this kind of lens yeah. and not a smaller format because no. you're going to get that that you know over-the-top like someone smeared Vaseline all over your image, you know? Yeah, and that's it is just not the same. There is a place for Vaseline, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Johnny, that's uh, that's your cue, right? What? What? Why is everybody turned to me when the subject becomes Vaseline? Come on. That's not fair. <laughs> uh <laughs> Well, as uh, Vaseline aside, um, I, I think that these these photos uh, again those 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 people that think that flower photographs are in some way not worthy um, should take a look at these because these are just pieces of art. There's there's yeah, no two absolutely. ways about it. They're incredibly well thought through. There are things going on in these images which, frankly, I, I don't understand what's going on. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm looking at one, and I mean these these alliums they they look like trees. And yeah. uh, I'm familiar with the plant, and it's, be it's a beautiful um, flower. Um, they've just gone out now. I think they're finished now, haven't they? Um, but, yeah, but some, unfortunately. Yeah, but uh, some of these, because I just want to go out now and take them. Um, but uh, some some of these shots look look like they almost have light, light leaks going on with them. But Yes, just, and I, they are yeah. light leaks. Ah. Those are light leaks that I created in camera. The first one was actually a mistake. But I like the look so much that I recreated that mistake. Right. So, so that's um, that's the film holder not um, getting right into the into the corner when you put it in when you take the the four by five. So the first one there there was the dark slide wasn't really closing correctly, so it left the left the corner open for additional light. And I like that so much that uh, for the next ones I just recreated it. The, the look is unique, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I'm glad you've explained that. Because I was thinking, <laughs> if, there, if, the, if there's a series of photographs there, that I was thinking, well, how did she do that? These are the ones where I, the, the, I was struggling with most because knowing, yeah. especially when I know that you you, the, you take these pictures straight, and yeah. uh, you don't you're not adding things in layers and, and things like that. Because these absolutely look like they could have been done that way. But then when <laughs> yep. you nope. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely beautiful, beautiful. I'm so happy the four by five as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is oh, a little bit man. of everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, did you just get rid of everything? Sorry. Did you get rid of that cook? Uh, that yeah. cook PS nine four five. Oh yeah. man, it just, I'm looking at pictures from that lens right now, and it's just it's beautiful. Yeah, it's so stunning. Yeah. But you can't. So that is really a lens I think that needs to be used on four by five. You, mm -hmm. When you use it on anything smaller, whether it's digital or whatsoever, it loses some yeah. of this. It yeah. really oh, yeah. needs that. It needs that big film. Yeah. yeah, totally. And they don't make four by five focal reducers. Wow. <laughs> 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 Oh man! Um, hey, the medium format lenses, the the Pentax one hundred five two point four. Yeah. Um, everyone is looking for that right now here in Hong Kong. It's in like super high demand. Mm -hmm. uh, and I and I'm wondering what between that and the Mamiya eighty one point nine, which I also have, um, mm -hmm. sweet lens. What do you find yourself using them for these days? Everything. 
the, these these two are my standard lenses. These are my go-to yeah. lenses. Um, what I like about the the eighty millimeter is that um, close-up work is actually quite easy with that. The kind of close-up work that I do. So that works. Um, that works really well for me. And I, as you probably could tell, I love uh, my shallow depth of field, mm. <laughs> my fast lenses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, but th these are my standard lenses: eighty millimeter and the one hundred five. Yeah, because I've, I've had that lens for a while now, and I haven't really used it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's 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 just it's living on a Mamiya six four five body, and I bought it for I think like that reason that it's the fastest medium. I think it's the fastest medium format lens. Yeah, it is out there, right? That's not like As a the, the real medium format. If you don't count these projector lenses or whatsoever that they come. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. I mean, like sort of these native strange ones. Yeah, yeah, camera. but it's yeah. the native one. Yeah. And you just mentioned projection lenses there. What, which, which lenses are you using, or lens uh, projection lens that you're using? I just got a um, 110 uh, Lomo lens, the the Russian one f2, I think. Um, that's the that's the first one, but um, I got it really cheap. I don't know, it was like 20 bucks or something like that. So I thought, okay, I can give that a try. And if I don't like it, I'll just take it apart because, um, as I said, I'm working on my own little. Um, minimum lens attention lens attachment or pre-lens or whatever you call them um some of my recent work that was done um using my own little extra lens on top to right, get so closer and create a certain look so you you're using a a, a lens um a, a yeah. lens body and then you're adding another lens at the front or the back of it yeah is that, is that right yeah correct I have some just glass elements as a lens elements that I mix and match together um, to to create certain looks. Yeah. So that's oh, all. That's I was going to cool. say that's that's all effectively like using a, 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 a lens elements as a is almost like a a, yeah. a filter. Yes. Yeah. That's, oh, is this what we're seeing in some of the more recent like super close up images yeah. of like I can't even tell if it's hair or like a dandelion or something. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the last one, Dreams of Wings, that's actually feathers. Yeah. Feathers, okay. Uh, so that explains, because I was looking at these pictures thinking, like, there's some interesting, like, weird aberrations going on <laughs> here, and I, I cannot recognize what the hell this is, but it looks super cool. <laughs> yeah. um, so this yeah. is, like, you taking random elements of lenses and just, like... Yes. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's... So what are you what are you mounting them on? Is Do you have, like, I a use... helicoid that you're just sticking no. them into? As I have, I also have helicoids, of course, but um, um, for to put them on the top, I found that actually the Lee filter system uh, yeah. is a really uh, interesting basis because I, smart, can, yeah. I can move it inside. So I can, yeah. the, the center point, where the point of focus, I can move that. That's something that I, I didn't like about some of the Petzwald, for example, that yes, it was in the center, but maybe I didn't want it in the center. So now I can actually move that point a bit around and call some, yeah, basically call some interesting aberrations and things like that. And um, then I, um, my uh, husband, he prints um, kind of like lens boards to me, for me, uh -huh. on the 3D printer, and I can just insert them. Pretty okay, so, <laughs> so hold on, I, I have a Lee filter system, and I'm trying to understand what's going on here. Yeah. So you're putting the lens on like, 3D printed boards that go into the areas where you would slide the filters. Yep, correct. And then you're you're using the the like slots in the filter system to like arrange the elements in different configurations. Yep. 
Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how, how do you, how do you decide how to like, do you just mix and match and see what it looks like? Or are you yeah. like, you know, yeah. looking at, you know, a cook triplet and then deciding, am I going to switch this element out? Uh, usually I just mix and match and see what comes out. I have actually looked at, for example, funny enough that you say the last one I looked at was the cook triplet. <laughs> Uh um and um but that's that's i'm not there yet let's just say but um at the moment i just use what i what i can find and that can be anything that can be yeah my my reading glasses or whatever and just see how it looks if i combine that does it only work for super close-up stuff or are you able to get anywhere near infinity on any of these weird configurations um i I have um, I have put together one that works on infinity. Then I don't use a normal lens. For these ones, I use a normal lens in between, for example, the Mamiya, and then put it on top to get closer. But if uh-huh. I just skip the Mamiya and um, just use, a, for example, an extension tube and just mount the leaf filter system on the extension tube, um, I can actually get to infinity, to infinity and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's a that's a very then you're entering the realm of really that's meniscus like Mm -hmm. there is lots of aberrations going on i can get some of them out because i've been reading a lot on optics and how they work together and how you should turn them around and things like that but um yeah it it depends of course on what you want to use it for and i've uh, yeah i've used uh, i've used it also just on the camera with infinity the amazing thing about this is the kind of thing that you're describing. I love doing this kind of stuff, um, <laughs> but I call it just like just dicking around. I never actually do anything of substance with it. Mm-hmm. But you're taking like what I would consider, you know, epic dicking around with lenses and actually making <laughs> art. <of> it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we have the title for today's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're actually making art with. You know, um, something that I think is inherently super fun for a lens nerd, but it literally has never occurred to me to actually try to take pictures that I would, you know, like consider actual images with it. Oh, that's so cool. I'm just like in awe right now. I, th- I think it's hard to know where to go next, really. Honest. It's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just. Uh, it's one of one of those episodes where I'm just, just very, very happy to just like sit, sit back and listen. Um, and, I'm, and 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 I, I think those those people that are, are listening in the cars really, you got to, when you get home, <laughs> go to isabelcourdes dot com, look at the pictures. Um, because they are they they they're fantastic, they're absolutely beautiful, and and yeah. hearing how they're made is I mean some, sometimes when you when you don't understand how a photograph's made it, it and and somebody tells you and you know, I think oh the the light goes on and you think yeah oh, I can I can do that and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hearing about how you're doing this and I'm thinking. I still don't know how to make these photographs, but, uh, <laughs> and, um, and 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 I never will, and that's and that's absolutely fine. And I might do something similar in the future, you know, through the inspiration that you've give, given me here, and 
I will then, I'm not certainly going to be as, as anywhere near as accomplished as these photographs, <laughs> but certainly um, the photographs, that if, if, if they ever see the light of day um, using some of the methods you've done here, they will not be replicable. Uh, no, nope, exactly. They, yeah. And, and that's what makes these photographs absolutely wonderful. Yeah, that, that's something actually, it's not that anyone else could even try and do that because you don't know. Some of my lenses that I use for that, they are actually splintered and everything. So, um, but it's also that I couldn't do it tomorrow. I could not replicate my own work tomorrow. And I know how I did it. Yeah, yeah. They are really a thing of that moment. And that's why I like using these actually on, on these things like the feathers or um, melancholy. That's a, that's a, um, nah, what's it called? Now I can only think of the. Is it chive? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a chive blossom. Half half gone already and it was just lying on the floor and I picked it up and I took I took it for pictures and then it makes sense to use something that is also broken in a way uh -huh. so well, there, yeah. there is a lot going on that you will not see and that nobody needs to actually know to either right. like or don't like the yeah, images yeah. it's yeah. um I know how I did them and I'm I'm glad I gladly share how I did them it's not a secret or anything <laughs> but um it's not something that I couldn't, I could not replicate them. The other, the other thing here, again, these, these photos we're now, we're now looking at with the, um, the melancholy sh shots with the, the dead chive. Um, mm -hmm. I've got dead, I've got loads of dead chives in our garden. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, um, they were, they were once like quite vibrant. Nothing actually went wrong with them. You know, they're just, they're just out now. They finished. Um, but they, the, the, the thing is, um, apart from the fact I'm going to go out there later and try and do something, um, the the other part is I, I would look at them and think, well, can't do anything with those now, and and I'd look at something else in the garden. You know, that their their, mm -hmm. their period of interestingness has gone, and you've proven that you know there's the you know things that have gone past their best, if you like, if you look at things in a conventional sense, yeah. it's it's not true. Um, yes. Just about anything that that has lived has got. You know, even at whatever stage of decay that it's in, it has the potential of being beautiful, and it's yes. just seeing it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, you know, beauty. Uh, the, uh, one thing I've said quite a bit, right, is like beauty on the surface is something that people always go after, sort of in early stages of of photography. But after a while, that does get a little bit boring and stale, and um, it's finding, you know, compelling imagery and emotional resonance in not just your typical pretty images. That's so interesting. And I think, Isabel, like that's what makes your work so interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's not typical. Um, you're doing things that are very dark in some ways, but also yeah. like really stunning. And it's just like a nice, unique expression of yourself as an artist. Although I am worried that you've now sent Simon down a really dark turn with his <laughs> <laughs> so, so his beautiful flower pictures are going to turn into like decaying chives and <laughs> with like rotten squirrels <laughs> be scaring small children with them yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm going to ask, ask him for a friend um, I, I, how did you like these, these, these photographs because they, the, the lighting is also very very special how do I uh, how do I light them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, these are just uh, lit by sunlight. 
That's just a window. In, in I did them here in the house in front of the window. Wow. Yeah, it's there. You, there you go. Yeah, how, 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 how easy is that? Just everybody, just look at these photos, put them in the windowsill, and you can you, you can take these photographs. Just the same. Oh, yeah. Stuff, yeah, yeah. You, you know, um, just just quickly back on the subject of putting random lens elements together. Um, Johnny often has a theory that the the oh, I feel I feel like I'm I can't, I don't want to say it, say Meyer optic now because I'm going to pronounce it poorly. But yeah, the Prima plan, you know, Johnny has often said that that lens seems to him like the designers just slapped a bunch of random elements together. Um, so so I'm going to issue a challenge to you, to you guys. Chuck a bunch of random lens elements together. See if you can replicate the look of the Prima plan. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to do something like this. But I mean, you know, I come across lenses which are pretty much only fit for the bin. Yeah. Um, they and, are perfect, and and that that's it because it do, it doesn't matter if it if it's if it was originally from a from a, a any, anything special in the slightest. It doesn't. It just doesn't matter. It's a it's an element. It's going to curve light in a peculiar way, yeah. and and it's going to be different in which direction that you're going to hold it. And then if if you yep. pull another element out, it's going to do something different again. And then it's finding something and think, oh, I can work with this, and and then you go out and make it work which is exactly what you've been doing in in all all of your work you've you've had a, a i mean it's been a it's a great advert for those people out there that want to buy buy equipment um <laughs> you know it, because you know you can't you cannot say it's not about the it's not about the gear because no. your, your shots are um what's the, what's the phrase they they're in they're in a lot they're actually in many cases they're inspired by the gear because you've learned how to use a a particular piece of equipment whether it be the lens or how you um you shift and tilt and things like mm -hmm. that you've 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 seen how these these things work and you think i know how i can actually use that to its best effect yeah so everybody go out and buy more lenses and more gear <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I've already decided what I'm going to do. And I'm totally inspired right now, Isabel. I'm going to take two dead Tessars. I'm oh, going to stack them one from a super Iconta and one from, I'll find another one. I'm going to stack them back to back yeah. and make like a symmetrical dead Tessar just to show Simon. <laughs> Even dead and stacked back to back, you can get good well, no, results. That, that could be that, that, that would suit me nicely. Yeah, yeah. The best Tessar is a dead Tessar. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's, that's yeah, quite literally. Um, hey, hey, Isabel, I, I have one question. Uh, sort of early on in your photography uh, on the gear, mm -hmm. why did you ditch the uh, the Leica, and what lens was your favorite, or which one do you miss the most from that system? Um. I think, in a way, I ditched it because it was too perfect. I, the, the lenses, they were they highly corrected and everything, but I found myself drawn to a different type of, yeah, I found myself drawn to imperfections. And those Leica lenses, they didn't have any. Huh. Yeah, I think okay. that I was because they are wonderful lenses, all of them. And that totally makes sense. <laughs> the one I miss most is probably the the fifty millimeter Somilux, just because fifty millimeter is a really uh, that's how my eyes work, and mm -hmm. uh, you can also see with my recent ones, I'm going basically comparable on thirty five millimeter from fifty to longer, but I don't have really anything wider than that. So um, th that kind of reflects how I 
how I like to look. So that was, um, and funny enough, the Falklander Nocturne, I also really liked. Which one? The 35? The, the uh, that was the 35 one point, was it 35 one point? What it's was a, it, two? Oh, the 1.2. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I, that that makes yeah okay that makes sense. I hate the thirty five one point four knocked on. By the way, <laughs> it's just like it's a lens that drives me yeah. nuts. But yep. you know what you say about Leica lenses totally makes sense because yeah, they're I often find that they are just they're boring. Yeah. Because they're they're like stale. They're sharp. Sometimes yep. they're a little bit harsh. You know uh, what you get. Yeah. Although there are a few exceptions, right? Like the the. I don't know if you ever got a chance to try the 50 millimeter f 1.0 Noctilux. No, that no that's that, one that of one those is, I never got a chance to try. Yeah, that that one I think has a really nice look. Not the 0.95, not the 1.2. No, the um, old the 1. one. Yeah, 1.0 specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I cool. That, that, I was just curious. I, yeah, I yeah. remember that I looked at the market at that point to see if I could get actually the 1.0, but um, th there wasn't really anything that was uh, available at that point. So, um, no, I never got to use that one. Yeah, okay. I was just curious about, about you know, what people... Um, I, I love I love Leica, so this is what I'm going to ask you about. <laughs> it, it totally makes sense. I mean, That's okay. I've, I've, no, I've ditched most of my Leica lenses for, like, exactly that same reason. Mm -hmm. I keep the system because it works for me in terms of shooting, but the lenses that I use are, like, all kinds of weird, you know, Japanese LTM lenses that are obscure and hard to find. Perfect. <laughs> and the Biogon, which is awesome. Yeah. Yes, the bi which Biogon? Uh, the Zeiss yeah. 35 2.8 C Biogon. That one that I also had. Yeah, love that. Oh, it's so good. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. That was, um, I sold that early on, and that was really the one lens that I really re regretted selling, despite I didn't really use 35 millimeter. So it made sense to sell it, but I really liked it. And if you had given me the chance to probably say... <sighs> If I if it wasn't for fifty millimeter that I could get one back, then that would be the biogon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just speaking it's, my language. Yeah. It's everything that Leica couldn't do. It, there's just something about it. Yes. It's it's just gorgeous. Oh my god. Yeah. Um <laughs> can, can, can we gush about this lens just for a few seconds? Here? <laughs> again. <laughs> again. Again. It's my favorite. Uh you know, I love 35 millimeter. It just has a look to it. You know, it's sharp. It has like a 3D rendering that's just yeah. like mind blowing. And you're right. Like I have a 35 Summicron as well, and the Biogon just blows it out of the water. Yeah. Uh, I th I think I think you should get one and get another one. It's so good. <laughs> you should mount it on like a GFX and see what it looks like. What it looks like? Now it was funny. I had the size first, and then I thought, ah, it's 2.8. And though I loved, loved, loved the look, I sold it and got the Summilux 1.4, 35 mm. millimeter. I regretted it. I'm probably one of those stupid people. <laughs> I don't think you will find many people that say they regret it to get a Summilux instead of a size Biogon, but I definitely did. Oh, no, no, totally. The, the Biogon is far better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> okay, on that, that note of Biogon love, um, I think we need to start to draw things to a, to a close now. Uh, Isabel, I've really enjoyed having you on today. It's been, well, it's been a laugh. <laughs> you know? I agree. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah. And, and uh, my pulse is also down again. <laughs> you're, you're what, sorry? 
My pulse is also down. <laughs> oh right, <laughs> you've you've calmed you've calmed down. You've got you've got used yes. to it now. Yeah, that's it. You're not you're not, not, not scared of being on the show anymore. That's that's great. Um, and then if if anybody else out there that's been that's feeling like too too scared to come on the program, then you know perhaps you can uh, perhaps you'll, you'll feel a bit better now because we we don't bite. Um, so uh, so yeah. Um, okay. So what we're going to do now? Let's let's do some last minute uh, housekeeping and shout out so uh perry have you got any shout outs this week uh nope no shout outs from me okay uh, uh, but i guess a shout out to you guys uh for keeping me entertained for the next two weeks while i'm on the road <laughs> <laughs> well, well we, we might we might well do the same thing as we used to do with with carl um because when whenever he disappeared we'd we'd sometimes pick up topics that we knew that he wanted to contribute on <laughs> and, he'd have a, and he'd have a go I, was, I wanted to talk about that well you should have been here shouldn't you <laughs> exactly yeah so uh, oh, we, are you gonna do a whole episode on the zeiss biogon <laughs> yeah 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 maybe not <laughs> <laughs> um we have enough material already we could just like splice together everything you've said in the past i suppose um all right then uh johnny have you got any shout outs this week uh i don't think so i don't have any i, I didn't take any uh notes to write them down on little business cards and put them in my pocket this week so i don't have any to read from oh um, actually you do have one to read because i've sent one through to you on your email from oh have from, you from bob matter Oh yeah, okay. Bob Matters email. Hold on a second. I did. And I did jo see that. Well, while while John is looking for that, um, we're we've got quite a few emails that we've we've not actually done over the last few weeks. Yeah, and we're going yeah. to do that next week. But we're going to read uh, Bob's out now because it's um, it's timely. So it's best best to do this one. Oh right, yeah. Let me. Um, yes, actually, it's it, it is funny you mentioned this because I did have a chat with Bob in person about this. So yes, this is very timely indeed. Uh, subject, iconic photography exhibit at AIC through August 4th, 2019. And that would be the Art Institute of Chicago. So this is something special for the locals. Um, uh, Johnny, if this, if this is not too late for today's podcast, please announce the iconic photography exhibit currently at the Art Institute of Chicago through August 4th. Uh, several iconic photographers are on display from the likes of Gary Winogrand, Paul Strand, Edward Weston, Robert Frank, Burning Sabbath, and many others. Be like Carl, Bob Matter. So, yeah, that's a great um, – yeah, thanks for the heads up again, Bob. And anybody who's local here in Chicago or anybody who's passing through Chicago, um, you'll want to check out that over at the Art Institute of Chicago, which is conveniently just a block away from Central Camera Company. So you could stop by and say hello and then – go see the uh the exhibit that sounds like an awesome show yeah this should be great they have an amazing photography collection uh at the art institute of chicago they were one of the early um art museums that really uh, sort of recognized photography as an art form and collected it early on because i mean that was a controversial subject up until you know mm -hmm. probably the late 60s even is is photography even an art form uh so the artist institute of chicago has a, a fantastic collection they also have for people who have never been there um they have a basically a call it like a reading room but it's the the photography collection has a essentially a library where you can go and they will pull out you know 
original prints, amazing prints for you to look at. You just have to make an appointment oh, and go in there and they will, I mean, it's incredible. You can, you can go pull some Ansel Adams prints out, et cetera, and they'll, they'll, they'll get them out for you. So it's the, it's an amazing resource for people who haven't been there and highly recommend that people check it out. Okay. And uh, Isabel, have you got any shout outs? Any, do you want to say hello to anybody? Nope. Except for <laughs> thanks to everyone and especially to you guys for having me here. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, I don't think I've got any shout outs, although I, I will mention uh, that if you're in the North Staffordshire area, South Cheshire, in um, and Stoke-on-Trent um, in the UK, uh, every Tuesday night we have a darkroom evening at the Six Towns. Uh, for t well, we call it the Six Towns Darkroom. Uh, if anybody's interested in coming along to that, then just drop me a message on whether it be on the email to the podcast or uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and all all those places. So uh, if you're interested, let me know. Uh, more people are coming along. Uh, we have five people for the last two weeks, which is good. And I think we've got some cool. more people coming along. Um, nice. So uh, yeah, that's that's grown, and that's in fact actually it's a, it's a point where uh, we'd almost be slightly worried if more people did come along because we're still <laughs> completely amateurs about what we do each week. In fact, to the point where we're deciding what we're going to do almost when we get there. Uh, but uh, every week we do developing. Um, we sometimes do a bit of printing and just messing about, frankly. Um, so it's uh, but it's it's good fun. Um, Okay, uh, coffee, coffee donations. We've had a donation this week, and you know I should have put this to uh, Isabel for for pronunciation uh, help, <laughs> uh, but it's from Christoph. I'm going to say Siegelin. Uh, in fact, I'm going to spell it to you, uh, Isabel, um, and that's uh, S I E G E L I N. Oh, I can't do that like that. Yeah, that's okay. Well, so, so I'm going to go with Siegelin. I'm going to go with that. Christoph Siegelin. Um, and uh, he said there, uh, a big thank you for, for the most entertaining Chicago weather forecaster is out there. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Christoph. And uh, and if you if you want to um, uh, help support the podcast, if you go to coffee.com, that's ko-fi.com, and do a search for Classic Lenses Podcast, you'll find us. And uh, yeah, if you want to drop us a donation, it will be very much appreciated. And that's how we're going to afford to buy um, the 40 millimeter conical lens, which we will be sending to, to Perry for him to love um, and then lose in the uh, in, in, a in a future episode. Um, yep. Okay, so uh, let's round things off again um uh, isabel been brilliant having you on um it's been great fun um yeah. how can people uh take a look at your work i've mentioned your website i mean I'll please mention it again and then and any other areas where people can see and keep up with the things that you do yeah, i think at the moment my website is probably the best uh, best starting point um as i'm i've only just updated it and i'm still adding some galleries um Apart from that, Twitter is always a good place to chat. That's good. And what's uh, what's your Twitter? Oh yeah, handle? that's uh, just Isabel Quarters. That's it. And that's uh, um, very easy. And there's actually also a link. I think. Yep, there is a link that also works. I just checked from my website. You can go to all my social media, except for there's still Facebook on, which I'm not on anymore. <laughs> no. no. And we'll we'll put links uh, to. Isabel's website and uh, Twitter and all that kind of stuff in the 
in the show notes, which live in the classic uh, classiclensespodcast.com. Um, and that's where you can you can read the full show notes for 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 this show um yeah so brilliant to have you um it's been thanks for having me it's been great fun um perry how can people keep up with you uh is, is you it can even find possible oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah you can find me on instagram and Flickr at uh p-e-r-r-y-g-e uh and my website which is the same url.com although i never really updated so don't go there uh the next two weeks though you will not be able to keep up with me because i will be looking at puffins and whales and catching cod and eating lobster on the east coast of canada all right awesome so johnny how about you oh you can uh keep up with me on instagram i'm uh at assistant photography on instagram and you can chat with me in person at central camera company in chicago most days of the week uh, except for sunday and monday um and if you want to keep up with the program obviously the show the podcast uh, you can do that at classiclensespodcast.com. You can send us an email at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. And please do on Instagram, follow Best Vintage Lens, their Instagram partner. So um, you can see what's going on over there. And you can read the show notes for the program podcast show over there on Best Vintage Lens as well. I, I, I think we need to put a, a specific shout out there for Ricardo Bayon. Yes, um, we do. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we mention it every time, but he, his, his work on producing his version of the show notes is fantastic. And uh, the, uh, the, the one that he's just done is, is actually combined two, two together. Uh, he's apologised to everybody. <laughs> no need to do that. <laughs> it's... Uh, and yeah it's 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 great stuff it, it sort of cuts right to the chase um we should just call him our instagram frenemy maybe yeah exactly yeah, there's um yeah it, it's yeah there's i'm just trying to think of the the, the, the right way of looking at it really but um it, things things are done with love and then it cuts straight straight into it <laughs> right so um keep it keep it up uh, ricardo it's, it's it's brilliant to read and it's a novel this week after our marathon CY <laughs> yeah. episode last week. Yes, yes, def- definitely. Um, okay, so that's just about it. You can find the three of us in our Facebook group, our, our dedicated Facebook group to the podcast, which is the Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group. Um, we're also very active in photography with classic lenses as well. And the difference being between the two is if it's something that's podcast related, drop it into the podcast group and then it but if it's anything just to do with classic lenses in general um then bang it into classic lenses uh, so that that's it uh oh places where people can find me i'm on instagram as simon4 no I'm not that's my twitter handle uh, so twitter is simon4 uh, instagram i'm on as simon forster photographic my website is simon forster photographic as well where you can buy ficas adapters uh, while i've still got them um also my it's fozzy ebay page on on uh, ebay.co.uk that's where i've got most stuff i've got actually plenty of lenses on there at the moment so you might want to and sometimes he'll send you the right one even (laughs) yes 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 um yeah um i I thought i was going to be on a bit of a downer in this podcast but i was i was just sitting here and looking across at a lens that i thought i'd actually just posted to somebody 
and I've actually posted the wrong lens, um, which is not good because it's gone to Ireland. Um, <laughs> Bloody English bastards! <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm sure he, I'm sure he's a very nice man, and he, and he's very happy with his English, um, and and he could be a very nice man and not be happy with his English as well, for that matter. <laughs> I don't, I don't think being a nice man really, really makes you be one or the other, does it? Um, not really. No, no. Uh, all, all options are, all, all opinions can be legit, legitimate. Um, where were we? We're trying to go home, weren't we? Um, okay, so let's 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 finish the podcast. Um, our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It's called Octo Blues, um, and uh, yeah. So I I hope you've enjoyed this week's show, and if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>